Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody this is Sandra Beck and I am so excited to bring you yet another episode with the ladies from Talcott Notch. Now we're here today with Tia Mealy, Paula Munier, Gina Panettieri, and Saba Solomon. And we're talking today about craft, about contests, about boot camps and conventions, because truly these days, ladies, you cannot swing a dead cat around the internet and not hit some sort of person who claims to know how to teach you to write a query letter, a contract, a book, you know, how to appear, how to talk, how to speak, how to walk, how to make your eggs in the morning. It's all there on the internet. So who knows where to go? Now, for me, when I was looking for information, I went to Writer's Digest and I came across a program where I reconnected with Gina. Now, Paula, you were part of that program too, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. So the Boot yeah, the boot camp. So I took a boot camp from a well-respected um, Writer's Digest organization, and I had a great time. I learned a ton. But more importantly, I was confident that the information I was given was valid. It was reliable. It was trustworthy. Because I have taken a couple writing boot camps over the years, and I just wanted to say to this one lady, like, are you smoking dope? Because nobody (laughs) does that anymore. You know, you're a lick and stick, S-A-S-E. And I'm like, people upload their queries now. They just point and click. You know, um, I just did something with uh, Jessica Faust at her agency and everything's automated. You paste your query into the query box. You paste your phone number into the box and you hit submit. So Things are changing, and it's really important with the proliferation of information on the internet today that we bring you reliable, trustworthy, credible information. And so we have with us today a wide variety of ladies from this agency to talk about really what is the business practice today and what are some of the best tips, tricks, and techniques that you can give us. I'm going to open with Gina Penitary and Gina. Mm-hmm. These contests, these crafts, these these um, boot camps and conventions, worth the money or not so much? Some are and some aren't. Um, you found out yourself that there are some that are giving you outdated practices or the people just don't have the expertise to really, you know, be able to help you from where you're at. I do agree that Writer's Digest is probably a go-to source to find um, conventions and conferences or writing classes that are super good. You're going to find some others online um, that are also, they're not associated with Writer's Digest, but they are um, associations of well-known agents and and editors who are doing them. Um, So if you check the background of the people offering them, you'll see if, if they've got that level of expertise, you're probably going to get some really great information. So do a little background check on a conference. If you think, you know, something comes up, some of them I've been invited to are like tremendous. Some of them I look into and I'm like, well, you know, they really aren't pulling editors. They aren't pulling, you know, lots of agents. Um, the, the course offerings seem a little bit vague or sketchy or, you know, they just, they don't have that meat 
Um, Paula was just at Crime Crime Bake in in New England, and that's like fantabulous. And you're going to see that if you go online and ask people their impression of Crime Bake, they would say like, "This is I gotta go. You absolutely have to go." So it investigate before you lay down your money especially if you have to travel to go to it, you should definitely do some background check and ask online if people have attended it. Did they find that it was worthwhile? Um, you definitely want to go to one that's pulling editors. If, if a publishing house thinks that it's significant enough that they're going to send some of their editors to that, that's, that's a pretty good sign that it's got a great reputation. Um, besides, those are people that you want to meet with. So I definitely find that one of my priorities. Well, and I'd like to chime in because I've been invited to a lot of these different um, conferences to represent how authors should present themselves to the media, how they should talk to the media, you know, conduct these podcast interviews or internet radio or even live radio interviews. And at first I was like, oh, I wouldn't want to go to a convention that had me, but then (laughs) I looked around and I saw that there were people teaching media that hadn't been in media for 20 years. And it's very, very much changed. So one of the things that I think is important to look and see, you know, are these editors actively representing clients? Are they working in the industry? Is the media person someone who is representative for me? I do, you know, obviously television and radio and internet radio, you know, and I'm actively working in the business. I was in New York last week doing a whole bunch of filming for a bunch of different projects. And when you are working in the business, it also means you're super busy. So I can't do 10 conferences a year. I can do one in July. Ooh. And only because of my free plane ticket. And I really like where I'm going. And, you know, I like to help people, but let's be honest, it's got to have some perks in it for you as well. I'm going to go over to Paula because she's just over there giggling. And I know you have something Paula to add to this. Well, certainly I was just at a, a writer's retreat. And I met a woman who'd been going to the same writing coach for 10 years, working on the same book for 10 years. And she told me, well, you know, she mostly makes her money um, working with her coaching clients and stuff when she talks them into self-publishing. And I thought, oh my God, this woman has spent 10 years, 10 years, you know, writing the same book to no good purpose. She wanted to be traditionally published. And yet that wasn't even the goal of her writing coach. So I thought to myself, how sad that she had spent all that time and energy and effort, but it's never too late to find a good teacher or a good workshop or a good conference. You know, um, I have a thousand books on writing. I've been to thousands of conferences, both as a student and as an aspiring writer and as a teacher and an agent. And I just hope that people, you know, check it out, ask around, ask your friends and your published author friends, where they go and who, whom they've learned the most from, you know, it's important. It is important. And you know, that lady's relationship with her coach lasted longer than my marriage. And we say how that turned out. So, you know, when it's time to, you know, get off the pot, I think a lot of people it's fear-based, you know, it's, it's a fearsome thing. And I'll be honest, I'm going to go to you Saba next. So, and then Tia, you're going to be in the hot seat soon. So uh, buckle in. Um, You know, when I was, Entering this writing contest or writing boot camp with Writer's Digest, 
I told Gina this, I was so nervous because I'm, you know, a 50 something successful professional in my own industry, but this was out of my comfort zone. At least it had been for, I don't know, the last 25 years. (laughs) So, you know, for me to put myself out there, it was really nerve wracking. And I was, I was super nervous. And when I went and hit send, I sent like eight prayers along with it. And I'm like, please don't let it suck. Please don't let it suck. You know, and then hit the send button. But what I found was this wonderful woman at the end of the line who was nurturing and gracious and, you know, a conscious human being. And she actually, you know, didn't say things like, ew, this was awful, which was, you know, what I had built up in my head. And so don't you think that establishing relationships is also maybe one of the benefits of taking some of these, you know, boot camps or going to these workshops or conventions. I'm going to go to you, Saba. Absolutely. I think not just relationships with publishing professionals that you have the opportunity to interact with, like Gina, who is absolutely lovely. And we already know all of these wonderful things about her. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) but also to find a community of writers who are also at the stage that you're at, or perhaps at a similar stage as you. I think um, writing can be very, in fact, it is a very solitary activity. And a lot of it happens in your own head for a very, very long time. And a lot of writers hesitate from taking that plunge to opening themselves up to feedback, critique, um, opening themselves up to being um, sensitive to other people's reactions to the topics they've chosen. There's just so much out there that sort of, you know, naturally makes one very nervous about doing this kind of thing. But you're absolutely right in that it really is all about taking that plunge and, you know, sharing your work, finding a community, finding people who can work with you and identify accurately and with patience and kindness what are the areas that you need improvement on? And, you know, I always say, um, you mentioned, you know, your age. And I always say writing is a muscle. We all have that muscle if we're writers. And you can, you can work on it. It can go in atrophy, but it's always there. And you can always build it up later, you know. And it's okay to take breaks and sort of take into account your own life circumstances as you plan this whole writing thing. And that's why I find running these boot camps so fulfilling because I do end up encountering so many different kinds of people who are at various stages of their lives, of their writing journeys, and the accessibility of boot camps right now these days. As you mentioned, everything's online, everything's just very immediate. That's great. You know, there are no there's no physical um, impediment to getting access to these professionals who are there to help you develop your craft and your projects. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. I think it really, it's an opportunity to see how a professional would not just critique your book particularly, but how they would approach critiquing in general. This is what you have to expect, you know, sort of walking into this career. This is how people talk about books, about writing, about themes, about character. I mean, when I give my critiques, I, 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 I use these terms because I want them to realize, oh, okay, I need to be thinking about my book. Not, not just in terms of it sucks or it's great. It's about sort of what is it that's working? What is not? What can we do? Let's break it down. Let's see what works. And, you know, that, that is just so valuable because it gives you the tools to understand how I need to be approaching the feedback process. So, yes, you're absolutely right. 
Well, and I'd like to talk about the feedback because I carry Gina's feedback on my work. You know, this <laughs> dog ear, you know, I've been carrying it, what, at least a month, Gina, is it? Yeah. And I would sit there and I, I would I times. <laughs> You've been busy chasing wildfires, yes. Right, but I had it. It came yeah. with me. It did not burn. Um, <laughs> no, but I really did. I had it crumpled in my tote bag. I had it folded in my iPad sleeve. You know, I've, I've traveled. I've been in four states with meetings in seven days. And Gina, I would sit there with it and... Instead of looking and going, I screwed up, I screwed up, I didn't know this. Oh, how could you make fun of that? Well, that was bad. You know, you could take it that way. And I did it first. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, but then, and then I calmed down and I thought, okay, if I just take each little paragraph and think about it. Like, she is not here to hurt my feelings. She is not here to do anything but make the project better. And I have to tell you, Gene, I love the way you criticize things because I still had skin on my back. You know, some jobs I've done, they've criticized me. I felt like there was nothing left of me at the end of the day. And um, I think if you, when you get feedback from an agent or from, you know, a publisher or something like that, you really have to sit with it for a while because the logic came out loud and clear. You know, you said, well, the industry probably wouldn't like X, Y, and Z because of X, Y, and Z. And if you sit and think about it, you go, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, this lady's right. And, you know, not that she was right on every single point, which she was. <laughs> you can take this, and it took me probably, granted, we did have a shooting, some wildfires. I had to move and travel during that time. Um, but it took me probably three weeks to digest just what she was telling me about my own work. And so I want to talk about that because I think criticism is really hard for people to take. And see, I didn't look at Gina's uh, email to me as criticism. I looked at it as a whole list of possible improvements. And I'm going to talk about that mindset for a minute. I'm going to go to you, Tia, because, you know, you live in a digital age that some of us haven't or have, you know, been pulled kicking and screaming into. And feedback is so immediate. You know, you put something up on social media, you get feedback right away. You put these things. Let's talk about the right mindset that you need to have or a healthy mindset for receiving the feedback. You know, I always like to say it's not news. It's just news. It's not good news. It's not bad news. Feedback is just feedback. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like, you know, when you have to give feedback to someone, and I'll go to all of you, because I think mindset is so important for a writer at this point. Let's talk about that. What do you think is the right kind of thought process in receiving this feedback? I think what you were saying about taking time is so important. The first reaction to feedback is usually very emotional. Um, to think like, oh, no, I did something terribly wrong, or this is a personal attack on me. So it's really important to take a few seconds, minutes, hours, days, however long it takes you to step back and realize it's not a personal attack. Feedback is never going to be a personal attack on you. Um, it's not about you. It's about your writing. And feedback is to make you a better writer. The goal is to improve your work, not to tear you down. So to really take time and to see, like you were saying, like, this is how I can improve. All of these are possibilities. They're not attacks. Um, and I think it's really important to get into that mindset. I know it's not always easy to get into that mindset, mm -hmm. 
um, especially right at first, um, when you first get it, it definitely feels like, oh, I'm never going to write again because all of this <laughs> stuff is stuff that I did wrong and it's all terrible. But to take time and to give yourself time to process it and realize, no, yes, some of these things are things I can change, but they're things that I can change and improve and make better so that I become a better writer out of it. Mm-hmm. And the story gets better. So we're going to go to you, Paula. And actually, I'm going to go to Saba because Saba's down here in the thing going, yes, preach it, sister. You know, she's got, the whole, you know, <laughs> a lot of visual feedback from you, Saba, today. I love it. Did you get a good night's sleep like your baby didn't keep you up? Oh, so my baby didn't keep me up, but we are still in the process of unpacking because we recently moved. And because we have two small children, we only have a few hours in the day to do it. So Oh, well, it's fine. I, I'm pretty rested. No, no Jet, you're here, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, nod along. Let's talk about mindset. <laughs> um, sorry? Let's talk about mindset. You know, what do you think is a healthy mindset, especially either going into these contests or once you receive your feedback? Going into a contest. So when you say contest, do you mean like a boot camp or a critique? Or yeah, a any of those. Like, you know, are you, we got new writers that are signing up for something. Got it. Um, I would say, I know, I always like to open this, I, I'd open with this. I know how terrifying it is. Again, like I said, putting yourself out there, putting your work out there. Um, so I would just go in not expecting a book deal. First of all, <laughs> I think a lot of people sort of have these wild dreams and they're like, Oh, maybe I'll meet the agent who falls in love with my book. And then, you know, they'll sign me on the basis of this critique and, and everything will fall into place. And I think just having, I mean, it's possible, but having that kind of an expectation would, would just kind of open you up to disappointment because it is rare. So I would say just walk in thinking, all right, I'm about to interact with someone who can help me on this journey. I'm about to, I'm about to get access to materials that I will be able to sit with and incorporate and really, you know, in a long-term way, put into my whole larger game plan into how I'm going to be able to pull off this project, a memoir, a graphic novel, whatever it is. I, I need to walk in thinking, I'm so excited. This is an, this is an opportunity and I'm going to take, make the best out of it. Now, I, I always trust the community angle, which is what we talked about earlier, which is, you know, hey, I'm going to be in a room full of other people just like me. And it's possible, you know, I live in XYZ place where I just don't know anybody else who's writing. And what a great opportunity that is too. So I would walk in thinking I'm, I have the, you know, I have the opportunity to connect with people who are doing the same thing I'm doing. I have the opportunity to look and listen and think deeply about my work and be given a new perspective on it that I don't have anymore because I've been staring at these words for years, you know, like that lady was working on her book for 10 years. You know, I think sometimes you just need that fresh perspective and you can look forward to that, which is exciting. It's really wonderful. It's terrifying, but it's exciting because it is, it's something, you know, that a lot of us don't have the opportunity to get just that learned um, professional perspective on whether a story is working, not just for a market, but just generally from a craft perspective. I think just walking in, feeling excited and renewed and energized at the prospect of walking away from the opportunity, a smarter, more aware, more mature, and more well-equipped author is, I think that's the best approach. So I'm going to go over to Paula now, because Paula, you have the unique 
uh, perspective of both sides of the fence. You've been on the author side, you've been on the uh, agent side. When you write a book and you have a plot summary or synopsis, like, do you give it to someone to eyeball? Like, are you at that point where you just pop out a book, like people pop out like chickens or do you (laughs) have to go through the same process of, you know, angst like everybody else? Absolutely. Well, I happen to have a fabulous agent named Gina Panettieri. (laughs) My, my early drafts. Right. So, and she's fabulous, but, but I have to tell people, you know, ever since I was a reporter, I've been a writer a long time, but there's always an editor. Editing never stops. Writing is rewriting. And this is something you just have to come to accept as part of the process. And if you can accept it as part of the process, then, you know, rewriting will save you. And people like Gina and my editor, Pete Wolverton and Minotaur, they will save you because they will see things that you don't see. And if you just all, I asked all my friends once, my, you know, um, best-selling authors and what do you do when you get their edits she says they do you always follow them they said we read them we, we we take it we have a shot of whiskey we go to bed we get up the next day we read them we have a shot of whiskey we, we revise <laughs> so you know resistance is kind of futile really because you have to rewrite writing mm-hmm. is rewriting but you have to get to the, the point where you understand that and you begin to see rewriting as your salvation i see it as my salvation I went through hell on book two, as everyone apparently does with two of my theories. And it was painful for all concerned. It was painful for Gina. It was pain, painful for it was painful for all of us. But now the book is out and knock on wood, it's getting great reviews and it's you know not an embarrassment. And apparently it's far better than I thought. So yay. But it was rewriting and editing and feedback that got me there. So I think I always tell writers, you know, if you were Say, say you decided you're going to take a watercolor class and you'd never held a brush in your hand before. You wouldn't expect that first watercolor to hang anywhere but your bathroom, you know? You would not expect to sell it to the Met. There is a craft learning curve here. Mm-hmm. And the best thing about boot camps and conferences and great mentors and teachers is that they can help you get to that next level. Mm-hmm. And so that you can climb the level of competencies to the point where you're a great writer and you can sell your work. Well, and, you know, I'm going to go to Gina next because one of the things that I I kind of had to get my head straight even before I signed up for uh, the boot camp was I had to really sit down with myself and say, am I coachable? You know, at this point in my life, am I coachable? And, you know, I thought I was, but then I'm like, hmm, you know, what does coachable really mean? What does it really mean? And, and you know, I want to talk about, Gina, about, you know, what makes somebody coachable. And just before I do, I want to say something to, to Paula. When I was first putting my current manuscript together, it was like baking brownies and cooking a hot dog and frying chicken wings all at the same time. I shoved everything in there I could possibly think of because I figured I would go the episode. Ap- absolute opposite of my journalism training, which is if in doubt, leave it out. No, not for this, for Gina. I (laughs) stuffed that suitcase full and jumped on it and then submitted it. Um, But it was a really good Good adventure for me because I didn't know where to go and I didn't know what to do. And when she sent me the feedback, it was like, 
she had like these eagle laser light eyes and she like slid two books apart and she's like it could go this way it could go that way you need this 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 and then I realized okay I guess I am coachable because in my work, I have to coach my guests all the time. And I know things they don't know. I know commercial breaks are coming up. I know, you know, the public isn't going to receive some of their things from their book that well. So we're going to kind of keep those over here and, you know, promote you over here. And people don't want to hear the author blow hard about every little thing. They want to hear about the book. Yeah, they want to be charmed by the author, you know, but there's a certain amount of coaching that goes on and and creating a really good show. So, you know, I kind of thought, all right, I'm just going to go for it and then let Gina tell me which way to go because she knows better than I. And then I calmed right down. All was well in Sandra land. So Gina, (laughs) let's talk about what is the ideal mindset of someone who is going to work with you and your agency? I think, as you said, you know, recognizing whether you're coachable, um, that ability to, to take the, the criticism and then let it sit for a while and then come back and see, you know, how it's going to improve the work. If you're immediately resistant to everything, well, immediately everybody just reacts, reacts emotionally and your feelings are hurt and you do get a little depressed and you go off and you, you can process it. Um, it's important to be able to put your, your pride aside. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. I had a fantastic author. Her first book was a, a, a bestseller. A, I mean, like number five on the New York Times list. It was her first book. We sold it on 30 pages. So she thought she walked on water, you know. And then we got the revision letter. And she wrote a 76-page rebuttal on that letter, wow. on that revision. This is not the attitude to take. Okay. Because everything that her editor told her needed to be changed, she had a reason why she was never going to do that. And so, and she didn't send the rebuttal letter to me. She sent it to the editor when then the editor comes at me, of course, with fangs and everything. Okay. This is not the attitude to take. All right. I understand that you invest in your book. You're it's like your baby. And then every time people start picking at it, you're like, but I like his blue eyes and I, I, I like that nose and I like, you know, whatever. You have to put that aside. This is not personal. It's somebody who knows your industry and knows your genre telling you what needs to be done. They're saying you're fantastic. Here's how you can become like even more fantastic, you know. So let's just start from that position. This is, this is you know, now we're going to go from good to great. Now, there's two different kinds of editors. There's the editor who's going to tell you what they would have done if they had written the book, that's not a very good editor. We see those all the time. Then there's the great editor who's going to give you advice that works organically with your story to make it into the absolute best story that you can tell. And you need, you need to be a, a, a savvy consumer and understand which advice you're getting. Are you getting the advice from somebody who's telling you, well, this is how I would have done the book and I don't want you to do it any other way than other what this thing I have. Or you have this, this person who has more insight who's saying, this is, can you see how this works organically with the story that you've already created? And you need to make that decision. Does the advice that you're getting work organically with your vision of the story? It's, it's your story. This is always going to be your story to tell. 
So are they taking your story into a totally different direction, which was never what you wanted? It never was your intention. Or, or can you sit down and say, oh my gosh, yes, this is what I needed to do. And I kind of already knew that there was something wrong. And when that clicks with you, when you get that feeling like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, why didn't I see that? Then you know that, that it's, it's going to work for you. So yes, you have to be open-minded, but you have to be a savvy consumer um, and understand that ultimately it's going to be your tale to tell. And you have to understand, you know, so you have to work with that. And, and, you know, sometimes when I offer on a client, you know, I'll tell them, this is what I envision doing with your book. This is where I think it needs to go. But you need to agree that this works for you. And if it doesn't, then, then I don't think we should work together. It, you have to agree that we have a shared vision of what you want for your book, for your career, um, uh, you know, because it becomes more than that. And we have to be partners in this. There's, it's not boss and employee. It's not, you know, somebody giving orders. It's, do you see that this works for you? If you see that it works for you, let's go with it. If it's really not, if you just, if it's not, and, it, and it's not your pride just saying like, I don't want to change anything because it's perfect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because like, we get those, we get those letters back at us and we're like, you suck. I never want to do anything you ever say. <laughs> you know, that happens too. Um, then, then yeah, then listen to that advice. You're, you're going to hear it. it it'll, it'll come. If you, if you have the heart of a writer, that's going to be inside you and it's going to say, yes, yes, this is what I should have done. I don't know how I'm, yes, but I, I'm going to never miss it again because it's always learning. Everything you learn from that one time, that one time through, it's going to stay with you and it's going to improve your writing from that book forward. Right, Paula? Absolutely. <laughs> and it never gets any easier because with each book, you, you present yourself a greater challenge in terms of craft. And, and so you continue to learn. It's an, a continual and continuous learning process. And well, you have to approach any craft and any art that way. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that I learned at, you know, my years spent at Disney and CBS and then recently working for a production company, punching up their scripts, is I think it helps to know, like, what you're good at and what you're not good at, because then you can reach out for the help you need. Like, I get a lot of jobs where people call me and they want me to punch up the script. They want me to punch up the, the jokes. They want me to find the funny. And... I'm really good at being funny, but I'm really bad at writing love scenes. I'm really bad, you know, at a lot of these things that some of my friends are really good at. And I was working on a collaborative effort in August, which was super fun because I got to show up and work on this, this you know, series script for a large major retailer. And all I got to do was read it and try to make things funny, you know, find the funny in there. And there was a lady there who all she did was really, you know, cause I would tease her and I'm like, Oh my God, you're such a sap, but you're such a good sap. <laughs> like she would write those closings to the, like the Hallmark movies or the Netflix love movies. And you would just go, Oh, I wish a man would just say that, you know, her characters do cause it's written by a woman, you know, men would never come up with this, but, but you know, what I saw in those, those, you know, collaborative efforts was that everybody had kind of a really good skill set, but nobody at the table, and there were 12 of us working on this last production, all on one script, and everybody had their whole roles. Everybody stayed in their lane. You know, they're like, you know, Beck, we need you to make this funnier. And I'm like, okay, well, then we need to change the character. And everybody goes, whoa, <laughs> you know, because you know, you have to work within the framework. And I think that's where it's really tough for agents and editors 
to stay true and germane to the story the author wrote and the author envisioned because the lady who wrote the book was sitting there and she's like, I really don't want that guy to be a 16 year old kid drinking Mountain Dew in, you know, wearing his earbuds. And, you know, after having a few conversations with her, she did, she settled down and she was like, okay, he's not a major character. If we switch him up to somebody young and spunky and sparky and snarky and really smart, we can do a lot with that character. So it's like one of those things where you have to trust each other, yet you still have to watch your back or watch your manuscript. Okay, crickets. Anybody got anything? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was okay. just going to say that, it, you know, when you're working with an editor or you're working with anyone giving you feedback, they mm -hmm. may suggest ways for you to fix whatever the problem is. But you, it's your story. You can always come up with a better way. And good editors know that, right? So if you let your subconscious work on it, you almost always come up with a better way to fix it. But if enough people say it's a problem or even one, publishing professional says it's a problem then there probably is a problem there whether whether or not you fix it their way is usually you know not the right way to go usually you find your own way to fix it with within your own vision of the story uh, my editor let you know tell gives me all kinds of edits until and I follow them all until finally there's always one little one where I'm like you know I just don't think I've worked and then we're finished that's how I, I figured out that's his trick he waits until I finally push back on something small then it, when everything else is figured out and usually I, I I often wonder if he only if he puts it in on purpose so that <laughs> <so laughs> I and say no I'm not going to do this and then I do everything else I don't know but he's clever well and I think you know one of the things about you know being coachable or putting your ego aside with some of these things is you never really know where good ideas are going to come from and you know because I was carrying my dog-eared tattered you know Gina email around my 13-year-old son, I went to look at it one day and it had orange highlight marks on there. And I'm like, okay, did I have an out-of-body experience, you know, and <laughs> edit this in the middle of the night? And my 13-year-old, who's taking a bunch of, you know, English classes right now, and they're, they're studying plot and story and structure and, you know, the, the red herring, all this thing, he went through Gina's notes and he highlighted certain things and put a little star next to him. And I said, you know, Zach, what, why did you do this? He goes, mom, he goes, even I <laughs> figured this out. And then I said, okay, smart guy, do you have any solutions for it? And you know what he did? And this was a 13 year old kid that just loves to read. So, you know, when you talk about age from, you know, whatever age you start writing or whatever your great idea comes from, because I want to talk about, um, ideas like where do they come from like you know where do people are they life experiences do they just make them up in the middle of the night where do they start we're going to go to you paula first wow well ideas are everywhere i think you know it, it, trained as a reporter you're trained to find ideas right and to or, or to see the world around you and see what's where's the story there and there's almost always a story there mm -hmm. i think part of the problem is we we don't know how to look or we pass them by, but everybody has a story, right? There's stories all around us. I do think in terms of selling your work, what you need to do is find out what's unique about you because you are your own original, right? The only thing you have to offer that no one else can write better or stronger is you. So I, I actually have an exercise in, in one of my books that's it's kind of a bubble chart full of things that mm -hmm. 
ways of you to get to know yourself better. So things you that would be in the writing with quiet hands book. Yes. And also in, I think it's in most all of them <laughs> because, because I think it's really important to figure out what's special about you. You know, they always say, write what you know, but I like to say, write what you know, write what you love, write what you'd love to know. So that really opens it up, not just your personal experiences, but all your experiences, your likes, your dislikes, the places you'd love to travel, what you do if you won the lottery, all those things. If you start thinking about them, you know, you can dig deeper into your own self and your own well. And then you just have to fill the well, prime the pump, and write. Who wants to jump in? Gina? Well, I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, when you discuss, when you start working with an editor and it's just, it's the plot of the book, um, you know, oftentimes we get something that's sort of like, remember you, what you said, like it was a kitchen sink book. I call it a kitchen sink book and people have thrown everything in because they have all these great ideas and, you know, things that have come from their life. And so they, they pack it all in there because they, they're like, I don't want to leave this out. I love this. I love this. I love this. And, and you as the writer, you can't see that you did that. Like at that, at that time, for some reason, it, it, it eludes you that you've like packed like everything in there, but you feel like I have this richness of experience and I want to pull it, put it all in the book. This is not the only book you'll write. Okay. There will be other books and that's where you, where you have to remember. And this becomes really difficult because what we often get with the second book syndrome is that the author packed all their ammo into book one and then they're, they're, they got nothing. <laughs> You know, come book two, book three, they're like, and we've seen this with, with our, with our clients, with ourselves, you know, it's like, you've, you've, you've taken all this richness of experience and you've poured it all into one volume. And then you're like, I don't know where to go with this. So it's, it's important to like pour that richness of experience, pour all that, that motivation and, and impetus and everything to write this story and then start to tweeze it apart and, and remind yourself, I'll have other books to tell. I'll have other stories to tell. This is where we're focusing. I just got a proposal in from somebody and it was a kitchen sink book. And I said, this is a story about grief and healing. So let's pull out everything that doesn't, doesn't support that. And you can tell that's another story. Let's tell a story about grief and healing. He had to walk away for a while and then come back and say, like, you're right. I, I didn't really realize that, but that's the story I'm trying to tell is this, is this story. So, you know, you, you can put it all on the page, but know enough that, that you're going to write other books. You can, you can pour all this other stuff into other books. Let's figure out what this one's about, you know? So, and that's sometimes a little hard. You need the feedback. You need the, the colleagues and the, you know, in the critique group to tell you what you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Well, yeah, I think because a lot of, um, a lot of the training that I had, which isn't much, but um, was all about like, we'll play the what if game, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, and that's great except it could lead you like down a bunch of rabbit holes. So to have, you know, have one story, one through line. And that's what I, I remember being such a big deal. You had the elevator pitch in, you know, Disney and CBS and every aspiring screenwriter, like what's your pitch, what's your pitch, what's your pitch. And I think that's a way of corralling in your story. Now, do you think you need to have a good elevator pitch before you go to a conference or go to, you know, one of these, um, you know, sign up things, or do you just go and, and like learn as much as you can? Who wants to field that one? I can do that. Okay. So um, I think first of all, <clears throat> different, uh, authors go to conferences for different things and at different stages of their career. Um, I wouldn't say it's absolutely essential for them to walk in having that pitch absolutely ready. 
but I think knowing what it is and how important it is, or at least sort of walking in with an open mind towards understanding why it's important is very important because I think there are lots of conferences that have pitching sessions um, that have uh, panels where you can actually go and watch publishing professionals talk about elevator pitches, mm -hmm. demonstrate them and discuss their benefits across the acquisitions process. And even after the book's been sold for marketing, et cetera, and that, that process, just sort of watching that um, conversation happen and getting that information will help you think more about that elevator pitch and perhaps put more of your heart into it. I think mm -hmm. it is one of those things that most authors kind of like to not think about. You know, I don't want to sum my novel up. It's not sum upable. It's you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Like, I don't want to think about my novel as a cheap product, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is we are in an industry and if you want to get published, you're looking for an audience to write for and we have to sell to that audience. So I think, yes, elevator pitches are indisputably important, but I don't think you have to walk into a conference or a contest having it before. Mm -hmm. I think walking in, thinking about it, thinking about sort of having the cogs in your mind turning already and then sort of perhaps getting feedback on it from the people you encounter at the conference um, is a great opportunity. It's a great um, testing ground. You can go in with a kind of a rough draft of your elevator pitch or just I'm kind of thinking of pitching it as X meets Y is totally fine because you can see what the reaction is. Mm -hmm. Some people may be like, oh, that, that makes so much sense. And I have a complete, I have a, an immediate idea of what the book's about and it makes me excited about it. Some people may look at you, you know, with crickets and it's like, well, okay, maybe I should change that pitch. And that, that's a good, that's a good approach, I would say. So walk in, being prepared to think about the concept and to workshop it and hopefully walking away from the experience with the tools to have it down eventually. Now, do you guys have those speed dating rounds? Like we have those in scripts in Hollywood where you get like 10 minutes and it's like, you know, speed dating, like get up, meet the next love of your life. What do you guys think about those? Are they, have you ever done one? Have you ever been on the, not, on, you know, on either side of it, you guys are nodding. So who wants to take the speed ball dating round for manuscripts? <sighs> Wow, like a lot of crickets today. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, I, I, we do, you know, Paul and I do a lot of these things. Saba, you're constantly going to conferences. Um, I don't find the three-minute ones or less to be that really conducive to developing a relationship with the person. I like fewer but longer pitch sessions so that I can ask questions and maybe they can pass me their opening page or, you know, we can, we can discuss a little bit about, you know, their, their view of, you know, where their inspirations were from. Um, so I find the super fast ones, uh, we numb out after an hour of three minute each pitches. We've, we, our brains are cotton wool. So those really, I don't find to be that, that helpful. So I, I like conferences where I get to meet with people. Maybe I get some of their work before I sit down with them. They, they email me, a, you know, the query or the pit, something, something. Um, those are a lot more helpful. And those are ones where I've actually, I've actually made connections that have, that have led to clients really quickly. Um, because I, I got to meet the person, I got to realize we have a chemistry, we have, we have a shared vision of the project, I know a little bit more about their work, um, because we're not going to remember, if we see 60 people in a three-hour pitch, we're not going to remember really that well, unless, 
I don't know, you, you came in like, like Paula's voodoo guy at the <laughs> writing conference in, on the West Coast. You, that you remember. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, you know, look for ones where if you, if you have to do the speed dating, the three minute thing, look for ones where you're going to have other networking possibilities with the, with the editor or agent that you pitch. Like, you know, you can go to the cocktail hour or, you know, if you can go just meet him in the bar or meet him in the lobby or something like that and just talk further. That's, that's, that's where you're going to make the connections. Well, it's funny you say that because when we used to be sent to these, you know, three minute pitch things, my boss finally said, he's like, no, you're not going. Cause I told him I was going to go in a giant bunny suit. And I'm like, <laughs> when you only have three minutes, everybody will remember the giant bunny suit. Like they might not remember what I said, but we're, you know, talking about how do you, how do you set yourself apart? Paula, go ahead. Well, I do a lot of these and I, and the pitch slams where it's every three minutes. And, you know, usually like Gina says, over the course of three hours, you'll see at least a hundred people. That's exhausting for all concerned. Um, I, I do think for networking, you know, maybe it's great, but I've signed far more people at conferences like the New York pitch conference where it's, you know, 10 minutes or eight to 10 minutes and I get to know the people, you know? Um, so I, I much prefer those as well, simply because I think, first of all, the pressure is really on in three minutes mm -hmm. and I, I just, it, it's on, on everyone. And it's, it's, it's a marathon really. And, and so I think those are exhausting. I like all kinds of conferences. I go to all kinds of conferences. I go to retreats. I go to um, New York pitch. I go to, you know, all the genre conferences. I do encourage people to go to their genre conferences if they can, because they'll meet the, the same people. And when Gina was talking about, you know, putting too many ideas in your book, one way to keep avoiding from, from avoiding that is to know your genre and to, to write something that hits, hits at least acknowledges the conventions of the genre so that you have something you can sell that will give the reader the experience they've come to expect from that genre. So I, I like the genre conferences too. That's very cool. I mean, learning so much. Um, let's talk about the post-conference communication. Um, because when I go to do some of these radio conferences, very similar and people come up and they're, they're pitching everything under the sun. I find it really annoying when they have an email I don't recognize. The subject line says, hi. <laughs> and then they blurb all over and it's five or six pages. And I might get a hundred of these after a big event. And I don't have time to sit and read all these. And my assistants, when I ask them, you know, Robin, Michael, and Aaron, like, we don't want to read these either. Like we want to know in the subject line, you know, and I know it's part of our job to a point, but the people that get on my show faster, the people that get into my company faster, the people that get in my promotional tour faster, communicate clearly. They tell me what they need in the subject line. They give it to me in two or three paragraphs. No fluff, no muss. If they can make me laugh, I'm your girl. Let's talk about, you know, the post, conference communication who wants to talk about some do's and don'ts with that i can talk about that and a girl come on like you said i think the subject line is probably the most important if you don't put the conference in the subject line i probably have no idea where i met you um so it's really important to say like met at the conference a lot of times you can just use the letters um, of the conference and then like requested submission um, or just like following up, something like that. So putting that in the subject line means I'm going to file it separately. So if you just call it a query, you're going to go in a regular query inbox rather than separate it out for something that you met at a conference. 
um, and also be brief and send me what I asked for. Um, so when I'm at a conference taking pitches, I usually ask for something specific. So I'll ask for a query in pages or a query in 50 pages, or if the pitch was really, really good and somebody really, really interested, I might ask for the full manuscript. Um, but if I didn't ask for the full manuscript, don't send that to me because it just muddles things up and it takes up more time than both of us really have. Um, so always listen to what someone is asking for in their follow-up. Um, and also, if you're just following up on something that they didn't request, keep it brief as well. So just a few paragraphs to say, like, I met you at this conference and it was really great and I just wanted to keep in touch, something like that, instead of going on and on and on, like you were saying, in a lot of paragraphs, because it's just time consuming that way. Right, we don't have time. How about you, Saba? What would you like? There we go. There's you. Oh, there you are. What happened to my audio? Um, I would agree basically with um, Tia. I think, um, you know, I, I often get follow-up emails to when I meet someone at a conference that's just a, hi, we met kind of email, which honestly, uh, I'm, I'm mixed about. You know, I think I, if we've had a meaningful conversation, one we've really connected on, I'm, I'm completely happy with that. But I feel then, you know, if, if you're counting bumping my shoulder in the bathroom as a me as sort of hi we met, you know, I would really rather your work speak for itself. You know, oftentimes, in fact, I think it's required for most publishing professionals who attend conferences. Part of the commitment to the conference is that we open ourselves up to uh, submissions for, to all of the attendees at the conference. So we walk in knowing, okay, we're going to get submissions from the people who've attended. So you don't. I mean, I think there's a lot um, of strange advice floating around about making yourself stand out in the memories of these publishing professionals in some way, whether it's by, you know, handing out strange swag at conferences that has nothing to do with your book or following up with no real manuscript or without that professional decorum you need to establish any relationship at the beginning. And I think that, you know, ultimately... I would recommend that, you know, like Tia said, just make sure you follow guidelines, have that, have that subject line be very clear because a lot of us have very strong spam filters. We don't want it to work against you. You know, we want to make this work. We want to meet amazing writers at conferences. We have something to gain from it. So I think a lot of the anxiety and sort of, um, the trepidation that writers feel about how do I approach an agent now that it's over, you know, is don't think about it as a, I have something that they need from me. It's a, we have a relationship that might work. You know, you have something that I need, you know, I want to sell books and I want to nurture talent. So you have that. So think mm -hmm. about it more in that way. And I think with that perspective in mind, interactions post-conference will feel less, um, tense or awkward, or you will be less likely to commit any kind of faux pas or just send any unnecessary emails or notes. Just keep it professional. Know that you have something valuable to share with the professional that you're seeking out. And I like moving on from that. I, when I sense that confidence, I like it. It makes right, me a, mu a mutuality that, you know, Absolutely. Hey, we're coming together to, to, to work on this project. You know, you're going to guide me, hopefully help me get it sold something I couldn't do you have the relationships with publishers you know there's a whole you know but but, but there's a synergy that has to happen go ahead Gina 
Yeah, I think, you know, know that, um, am I on? <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, it looks like it's weird. All right, when I, when I meet someone at a conference, um, immediately I'm going to tell, I, I can see whether personally we're going to get along well, um, whether we, we have that synergy you're talking about, and I think most of us have that experience with, with people we've met. We're like, immediately we're like, yes, I would love to work with this person, or it's kind of like, not really sure the chemistry is right here. You know, be right with somebody else, but maybe not with me. Um, so again, it don't put on a fake air or, or, or be anything other than real in yourself when you're at these conferences in order to try to stand out or be memorable. Your work is what we care about, not necessarily that you were wearing a bunny suit. Or, you know. <laughs> um, if, you're, if you impress us as far as your knowledge, I mean, when somebody sits down and, and I can tell immediately they're super knowledgeable about their genre and the market, I'm going to remember that person. If they tell me, well, yeah, like this, my influences were, were this, with this author and this author, and I think that the voice would probably resonate with people who are readers of this person, and they know a great deal. And it's, they're not just they're not just flicking off, you know, bestsellers in their genre, but they've really dug deep into like where their reader base would be. That's memorable. That makes, that really makes me, you know, sit up and take notice of that person. Um, you know, if they want to follow up with me later on, you know, putting it in context, yes, they, if I request the work, or if I didn't request work, they didn't come to my pitch, but I met them someplace else, they bring that up. Just say we met at such and such conference. Um, I, you know, and then the conversation usually goes like, yeah, I thought we really got along well. I was really enjoying the conversation. I'd like to pitch this to you. That person's probably going to move ahead as far as the, my triage list for the, <laughs> for the pitches, for, for the queries I'm going to handle. So, you know, bringing up that personal connection. Now, if it was an unpleasant experience for me, I probably may not answer. I don't know. Right, like you're afraid of bunnies, and I show up in a bunny suit. <laughs> you, you, you never, you never know. I mean, like, but yes, the, the weird swag and stuff. I mean, people come at you, and they, they, I don't know, they leave you like here's here's this box, or here's stationery with my name on it, or here's like a notepad. I'm like, we come away with so much junk at the end of a conference, you would it would boggle the mind. So I just want to know, just give me something that relates to your work. You know, if you want to leave me with a couple pages, you know, I might be okay with that. I might, you know, but nothing else. Don't, and especially not food. Don't give me, don't give me food. I mean, I'm always weirded out by people who are like, I made popcorn and champagne bottles for everybody. I'm like, oh, well, no, that's good. We're good. Thanks. <laughs> I would prefer not to have, you know, any, anything like that. Just tell me about your book. So Good. Right. Real estate agents and writers like, or, or they, it's amazing how many, when they send me stuff to be on my show, I want your book. I don't want your bookmarks. I don't want a tear sheet of paper. I don't want a scarf with your name knitted in it. You know, I got one of those ones. I'm like, wow. Okay. I'm a walking billboard now to promote your book. Um, I have to take us down girls. I've had such a great time with you today. We're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about like agency submission do's and don'ts. We have the ladies of Talcott Notch. You can just Google them, their website. They're on there. Uh, what's the, is it talcottnotch.com, Gina? It's talcottnotch.net. Talcott Ah, .net. So we will be back next week and we'll have another great roundtable discussion and uh, happy writing. We'll be back.
thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.